The Book Thingo podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and naming your hero. This is episode 38, featuring Amber Barden at the Australian Romance Readers Conference in Melbourne. Book Thingo would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Aboriginal Australians to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo Podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance. Kill a fairy fast on the Book Thingo Podcast. Welcome back to the Book Thingo Podcast. I'm Kat Mayer from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. Before I introduce our guest for this episode, I wanted to let you know that I'm trying something new. If you're a regular reader of the blog, you might notice that I haven't had much time lately to post reviews in the usual fashion. So I've decided to do some quickie audio reviews. It's not a new podcast, not quite. I basically talk about books while I'm in the car waiting for family, for kids, not so much for traffic lights because that would be illegal, but when I have a couple of minutes in a quiet space, I'll be posting some quick thoughts on what I'm reading. You'll find those at anchor.fm slash bookthingo or via the Anchor app, and I'll include a link in the show notes. Do check it out and let me know what you think. Now, on to the podcast. Today's guest is Aussie author Amber Barden. I first met Amber at RWA in Melbourne a couple of years ago. At the time, she was an emerging writer, and since then, she has published, I believe, at least five more books. We talk candidly about some of the pushback that Amber received for writing an Arabic hero, the appeal of captive narratives, and Amber's love for Julie Garwood's historical romances. You can find all the books we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 38. Amber Barden, thank you for joining us at the Book Thingo podcast. The last time we had a chat, you were an emerging author. I think you had either just released the book, your book or it was just about to come out. What's it like to be a published author? It's wonderful. I'm just getting to the stage now where I've had a few books out and I'm getting some regular readers who are starting to contact me and getting the, the feedback that you kind of dream of before you're published. So, you know, it's really wonderful now to have books out there and people reading them and getting to experience how they have affected people and their responses to it. So you're relatively young as a romance author. I mean, the romance author community is pretty broad, um, but I've noticed that you there's a young crowd and you're <laughs> part of that young crowd. So is there, um, is there anything about the books that um, you're writing that you feel... Um, is slightly different from the way things have been written in the past? Um, Well, I do feel that your own experiences influence the topics that you write about. So so there definitely is. I've noticed as I've gotten older, my heroines have gotten a little bit older. So my first romance heroine is 21, whereas my latest heroines are closer to 30. So that has influenced it Um, in terms of difference. I have written some diverse heroes, and that's because my own family is very diverse. I have Mediterranean and Asian and Arabic in my family, so my first hero was an Arabic hero and not a sheikh. 
which is pretty unusual. Wow, that's <laughs> I was actually told you're not allowed to have Arabic heroes who aren't sheikhs, but um, wow, yeah, I got that in um, RWA contest feedback actually. So how did that make you feel when you get feedback like that? I thought it was pretty ignorant and ignored it. Okay, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And that was proved to be true. It was ignorant because I had multiple offers from publishers and nobody had a problem with my Arabic hero. They didn't have a problem with his Arabic name, which was pointed out to me a lot when I was aspiring. Um, his name is Haytham, which is a very Arabic name. However, nobody ever had a problem with his name. So I would encourage people who are told that, you know, that's not popular, that doesn't sell, to completely ignore it because it was wrong. It was wrong feedback. So how many books have you written now? Now? As of now? Um, published now? I think I have seven. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of books because it's only been a few years since we had our first chat, really, when we first met. Yes, well, um, I had been writing and obviously trying to get the first book out there. The publishing process, especially traditional, um, can be a little bit slow, especially with print on shelves. So I had time to kind of continue writing and um, build a backlist that was able to follow pretty quickly after my first book was released. So are you writing full-time now? or you... I'm writing full-time. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's actually really amazing. Yeah. Wow. I decided just to, like, jump in and go for it, and um, I tend not to half do things. I want to give all, and that's what I've done, so I'm writing full-time. So what types of heroines do you like to write? Is there? Do you find yourself writing particular types of characters or themes? I do find myself writing particular types of themes. Um, it seems odd, but capture seems to be a theme that, that continues to emerge. Um, I quite like the kind of boiling pot situation that capture creates um, in that often in contemporary romance, um, you see relationships that become, become kind of monopolizing on the characters' lives. Uh, and that's not really realistic in your life when you meet someone, they don't take over the entire universe, or at least that wouldn't be healthy, um, whereas in a situation where you're on a desert island or on a yacht and there's nowhere else to go, it kind of shrinks, you know, the other things in your life that you would be thinking about and it creates, for me anyway, a realistic situation where all your focus is on yourself and that person and the dynamics in, the, in that relationship and the conflict that that brings. So. Even though my captures are quite different, that seems to be a re-emerging thing for me. So you have um, been a panellist at the National Young Writers Festival, which is a very literary event. Yes. Um, but you've also, you're also really involved in the community um, of romance writers in Australia. Are they very different? Oh, I think they are very different because I think people have often a, a literary perspective and then they have a genre perspective and I don't think... Um, romance is alone in kind of the genre community. Um, so it is very different and sometimes you battle stereotypes but the wonderful thing is that I did get to go to National Young Writers Festival and there was, there was myself and Eden Summers so there was two representatives of romance there and I just think that's great when they do include us and we do get a voice and I know I was on a panel where people never would have heard a different perspective on romance and how romance does give voice to we know women's opinions, women's issues, women's perspective, and maybe it expanded their horizon and what they would, might be prepared to read. So it is great when you do see us getting included in those 
So how did you get started? What, what was your interest in romance? Where did that begin? Oh, my interest in romance began when I was like 12 years old. What was your first book? Do you remember? I, well, obviously I read The Sweet Valley Highs when I was very young, but I do remember my very first two um, romance novels. It was Until Forever by John and Lindsay, and which it was The Prize by Julie Garwood. Oh, Julie Garwood. <laughs> I only discovered Julie Garwood a few years ago, so I went back because I actually really love medieval romance and there mm -hmm. are so few of them being done now. Um, and I went back to read The Bride and, I don't know, like The Lord or something. You know, she's got the the something yeah, titles. She does. <laughs> um, they're really compelling. She's writing romantic suspense now, which is completely different. She's been writing romantic suspense for a very long time because I've been heartbroken for a very long time. <laughs> Just waiting for another historical. historical. <laughs> because they were really what made me um, fall in love with romance. Her heroes, you know, they were the like alpha barbarians, but they were such protector heroes and her heroines were so savvy and smart and would get out of these crazy situations. They were really very modern characters, her heroines, um, just with a historical backdrop I found. And a lot of them also had concerns around childbirth and helping women through um, health issues. <laughs> I don't know, for some reason that stood out in my mind. She had this one book where there was this scene where the midwife um, was trying to, after childbirth, the, the tradition or the custom was that you would stuff herbs in the woman to mm. kind of, I don't know, to freshen her up. I, do, I have I, no idea. I do know the book you're referring <laughs> to. There was a, I remember one of them and I actually can't remember the name, but I do own every single Julie Garwood historical, wow. every single one. Um, and that one in particular, I believe, it was her ambition to learn to become a midwife because her best friend was scared to give birth or something. So, yeah, there was this... And then she's like, no, you, we're not <laughs> going to do that because that, yeah. And I just, I never realised actually that people used to do that. Yeah, and I found that she would often, it was very clear that she had researched particular historical ways of doing things and they would come through in her books and you would learn about how childbirth would be in Scotland at that time or how, they, and yeah, like yes. <laughs> or how they would make soap or whatever like whatever the heroine was doing it was obviously very well researched and you could really immerse into that world in that time. So do you still read romance now that you're writing it? I still do read romance. I have found the experience of writing it kind of changed my relationship with reading a little bit my internal editor doesn't turn off very well, so sometimes I have to separate my writing time from my reading time a lot more, um, read more on weekends and not during the week, week when I'm trying to write. I also have changed what I read a little bit because when I'm writing contemporary, obviously my head is always in that space and it's the escapism I get is from reading something completely different, something completely crazy. Um, so I've read some really crazy sci-fi kind of things, <laughs> which I've really enjoyed. And Do you read sci-fi romance? Sci-fi romance. Have yeah. you read the one with the lizard alien? Yes, What's the last the... hour of Garn. Yeah, and what did you think? <laughs> I enjoyed the last hour of Garn. I particularly appreciated that. I love a book where you go, no, I can't like that book. I can't like a book where the heroine is having sex with a lizard man. <laughs> I can't like that. You, you can't try and tell me that I'm going to like it, and then you do. <laughs> the thing is, I haven't actually read this book, but I know that it's really popular, and because I'm a blogger, people ask me for recommendations all the time, and sometimes I'll recommend books that I haven't read but that I know other people have and have enjoyed. But this book, <laughs> it's so hard to explain, and as soon as you start, you try, people's 
faces just be like, I yeah. don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't sound good. You can't explain that book in a way that sounds as appealing as it is. Um, <laughs> however, I had a lot of people recommend that book to me and they never gave warnings. There's a lot of rape in that book. There's a lot of right. alien rape. So I think people need to know that before they go into it. But she has some other books as well, which are equally as different. There's one, The Land of the Beautiful Dead, where the hero is the zombie king. But he's like an actual zombie, so it's not zombie apocalyptic where there's two surviving humans. She's with an actual zombie who's like half decayed kind of thing. Wow. And See, my thing with zombies is, won't his penis eventually fall off? Well, he's like Lord of the Undead, so he's like in a frozen state, so he doesn't... Like, okay, so they've, do, they've done something with the mythology of zombies to make it palatable. <laughs> it's not ending. palatable, but... <laughs> <laughs> he's never represented to be attractive, and that Ali Smith okay. does this thing, and it's like... So it's like Beauty and the Beast. It's true story. Beauty and the Beast, because you never are led to believe that they are physically attractive. What you are led to do is to fall in love with them anyway. And so he is monstrous of appearance and monstrous of behaviour also. But then the heroine kind of, he, he grows and evolves because of her. And when you start seeing her challenging him or being put at risk and him responding differently to has whatever has been his character, um, and you start to believe in them and their relationship, even though he's a half-decayed zombie. <laughs> so what's the title of that book? Do you remember? That's The Land of the Beautiful Dead. The Land of the Beautiful Dead. Um, that's I'm kind of I've lost my train of thought I'm trying to imagine actually do you think paranormal and speculative fiction crossovers with romance allows us to still enjoy the super alpha heroes without having to be so concerned about whether or not they're actual dickheads Yes, and I think actually um, the idea of um, being able to construct your own context for something changes it a lot. Anne Gracie today said, was talking about writing historical, and the thing was times were different then. Um, And, you know, when you're writing contemporary romance now, there's kind of different rules that apply, but when you have a paranormal um, and a werewolf smells his mate... Maybe the same rules don't apply. You get to construct your own context for things, and I think context is everything. Excellent. Um, Do you consciously imbue your social and identity politics into your books? Um, You know what? In the beginning, I tried to when I was aspiring because, you know, I would have beliefs, but maybe I didn't have the... I had not yet evolved to the point where I could execute that well. Right. Um, so it would come across um, and not necessarily favourably come across because I was trying to make a point. And now, however, um, it's more it's more natural. I, I'm not trying to push an agenda. Um, it's just that for me as a person, when a heroine is, when she is just, you know, empowered by a relationship and empowered by a situation, no matter how unempowering it might seem like capture you obviously you think oh that's so unempowering but um if my heroine is empowered through the process somehow through her journey and her relationship with the hero um if she can learn to stand up for herself and become her best self that is satisfying so uh, i don't need to really put any kind of 
agenda into it. It's just part of how I feel. It's organic. And, yeah. And so tell us a bit about your either your latest release or your upcoming book. Well, my latest release is King's Captive, which came out on the 13th of February. And that is also a capture romance. However, there is a lot of um, psychological thriller element in that one. Things maybe aren't exactly what you think they are. Um, and you kind of have to read the book for yourself to figure out how that is. Um, but it's probably the most difficult book I've ever written and also um, the most rewarding. Well, that leads me to my next question, actually. Um, have, you, have you changed as an author from when you began? Like, how do you... Do you feel like you're still writing different books each time? Yes, um, and sometimes the, the pendulum swings significantly from one book to another. King's Captive was mentally and emotionally exhausting to write. Um, King's Captive is actually a contemporary romance. Uh, it's called King's Captive because the hero's name is Julius King, not because he is an actual king. <laughs> um, and uh, the heroine is in a situation where she's captive with him on his private island and trying to work out if he is her enemy, um, what she needs to do to escape him and through the process of trying to escape him and be liberated, um, the story unfolds in such a way where maybe things aren't what she initially thought they were. Um, there's a bit of a psychological thriller element, um, a lot of suspense and some surprises that you would have to read to find out. Are there any... Um were there any surprises to you personally as you started writing more books? Like, did you end up writing the same books that you thought you would write? Or did you find that your interests actually went in different directions? Um, I found that it kind of changes from time to time, depending on, on what I've written. Um, sometimes I get a bit fatigued with that and need something fresh. And maybe I'll write something that's a, a bit different. There's always there's always recurrent themes in my books, I find. Heroes always tend to be very strong and protective. Um, my heroines are probably getting... Uh, that's the Julie Garwood. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is, it is. And that's always been my favourite and the thing that I... It's probably my fantasy is men who are strong but protective. Um, and even if they... If they do something that's maybe not right, their heart is in the right place ultimately. I they love, mean well. They mean well. Um, and for me that's really redeemable. If you do something that seems totally crazy and wrong but your heart is in the right place, I'm much more forgiving of that than when your heart's in the wrong place. So one final question. You're now writing full-time. Mm -hmm. Is the author life what you had envisioned it to be? Oh, well, there's less diamond keypads than I thought they would be. Um, it's probably a lot lonelier than what I thought it would be. It's a full-time job where you spend a lot of time alone. So having conferences and things like ARA and um, RWA and book signings to go to and connecting with people and authors and um, especially the social media side of things these days still gives you connection. But I'd never done a job before where I would be alone so much of the time so that's probably something that surprised me about it and where else will we be seeing you this year this year i'll be at the romantic times conference in atlanta um and in australia i have i have got to confirm a few other things but that's my main commitment for this year okay i hope you enjoyed that interview 
When Rudy and I listened to the replay, we were in awe of just how amazing Amber is. And speaking of Rudy, as always, she deserves all praise for being an excellent audio producer. You can find the show notes at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast. Just click on episode 38. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can send me a tweet at bookthingo or send an email to podcast at bookthingo.com.au. We had some excellent feedback from episode 36, our interview with Courtney Milan. Aztec Lady tweeted that it's a great interview. And Aubrey Lane tweeted, yes, Courtney Milan on Bookthingo, yes, with lots of S's. So thank you guys for um, your lovely tweets. Claire Parnell also tweeted that she's listening to Bookthingo and feeling all the heart eye emojis. Courtney Milan is amazingly smart and lovely and I would listen to her all day. And Claire, I would totally agree. Claire also had some feedback for the CS Pacat episode. She tweeted that she listened to this gem during her lunch break and it is amazing. Um, and I have to say, I agree. CS Pacat is pretty amazing. Thanks to everyone who has sent us feedback or comments on Twitter. And thank you for listening to the show. Our podcast anniversary is coming up in a few days. So we have a bonus episode for you filled with mayhem and laughter and a lot of inappropriate behavior. Suffice it to say, Rudy, Gabby and I are joined by some unexpected guests. And then we'll be back in a fortnight with a very lovely Diem, co-host of the Bookish Friends podcast. I caught up with her in Melbourne and when you have two reviewers together, you know it's going to be a fabulous conversation. Until then, I hope you have a fabulous fortnight of reading.